Section 31 of Journal of the Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Keenan. Journal of the Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 1, Section 31. Tuesday, 26. I spent much of my time in reading the third volume of Mr. Hervey's Dialogues. I like his philosophy better than his divinity. However, if he is in error by leaning too much to imputed righteousness, and in danger of superseding our evangelical works of righteousness, some are also in danger of setting up self-righteousness, and, at least, of a partial neglect of an entire dependence on Jesus Christ. Our duty and salvation lie between these extremes. We should so work as if we were to be saved by the proper merit of our works, and so rely on Jesus Christ, to be saved by his merits and the divine assistance of his Holy Spirit, as if we did no works, nor attempted anything which God hath commanded. This is evidently the gospel plan of man's salvation. St. Paul says in one place, By grace are ye saved, through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In another place the same apostle saith, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But some, who see the danger of seeking to be justified by the deeds of the law, turn all their attention to those passages of Scripture which ascribe our salvation to the grace of God, and to avoid the rock which they discover on the right hand, they strike against that which is equally dangerous on the left by exclaiming against all conditions and doings on the part of man, and so make void the law through faith, as if a beggar could not cross the street, and open his hand, at the request of his benefactor, to receive his bounty, without a meritorious claim to what he is about to receive. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And he, having joined salvation by grace, with repentance, prayer, faith, self-denial, love, and obedience, whoever putteth them asunder will do it at his peril. But it is likewise true that others who see the danger of this, in order, as they imagine, to steer clear of it, go about to establish their own righteousness. And although they profess to ascribe the merit of their salvation to Jesus Christ, yet think they cannot fail of eternal life, because they have wrought many good deeds of piety towards God and of justice and mercy towards man, and they would think it incompatible with divine justice to sentence them to eternal punishment, for what they call the foibles of human nature, after having lived so moral and upright a life. Happy the man who so studies the holy scriptures, his own heart, and the plan of salvation, and daily prays with such earnest sincerity to Almighty God, as to see that neither faith without works nor works without that faith which justifies the ungodly, will suffice in the awful day of universal retribution. Wednesday, 27. My soul is sensible that there is a declension among professors. This cannot but grieve the hearts of those who labor, and are engaged to promote the spiritual and eternal happiness of their fellow creatures. Lord, revive thy work of grace, in all our societies throughout this extensive continent, and in every nation on the earth, and especially in my poor heart. Thursday, 28. 
we had tidings of great troubles in the south as well as the north. The gathering cloud seemed to lower and threaten with great severity. Oh, my God, I am thine, and all the faithful are thine. Mercifully interpose for the deliverance of our land, and for the eternal salvation of all that put their trust in thee. At present my way is measurably hedged in by providence, but the time may come when I shall be useful in the Church of Christ. This would afford me more satisfaction than all the riches of the East, with all the pomp and grandeur of empires, and all the pleasures that can gratify both the imagination and the flesh. Monday, February 1, 1779 My conscience smote me severely for speaking an idle word in company. Oh, how frail is man! It is very difficult for me to check my rapid flow of spirits when in company with my friends. The tongue is an unruly member. And St. James spoke a sacred truth when he said, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. He that can on all occasions govern his tongue will have power sufficient to keep his whole body in religious subjection. This day our quarterly meeting began, and my heart was expanded in preaching to about seven hundred people on Hebrews 2, 2. I entertain great hopes that we shall see a gracious revival of religion. The Lord knoweth that, next to my own salvation, this is my chief concern, and all my interest in America, or in the whole world. I desire to live only for this. Tuesday 2 our love feast began at nine, and public worship at twelve o'clock. The operations of the Holy Spirit were very powerful in the congregation, so that there was a general melting, and amongst the young people there were outcries and deep distress. Here was a blessed prospect. God is gracious beyond the power of language to describe. Both preachers and people were exceedingly quickened. The public labors of the day were too much for my feeble frame. FRIDAY FIVE I am still far short of what I wish to be in point of universal holiness and fervent devotion, but my soul is kept in peace, and I am determined by grace to be more resolute, faithful, and diligent. LORD'S DAY SEVEN There was a large company and some melting of heart at Boyer's while I preached on Luke 19.10. In the afternoon I was invited to preach in Dover Courthouse but my ideas were not very clear, neither was my spirit at liberty. Tuesday, 9. My affections were warm, and my words flowed with ease last night in town, and the attention of the people appeared to be fixed. The people also were very lively today at Shaw's. My body is in a feeble state, but glory to God when I am weak, then am I strong. Though this mortal frame is shaken by repeated afflictions, my soul is supported by that peace which passeth all understanding. Lord, keep me always in the dust at thy feet, leaning continually on Jesus my beloved, that as my body approacheth the grave, my soul may advance towards the realms of light and glory, and there securely rest in Abraham's bosom till the general resurrection. There I shall see his face, and never, never sin. There, from the rivers of his grace, drink endless pleasures in. Yea, and before I rise to that immortal state, 
the thoughts of such amazing bliss should constant joys create. There I shall bathe my weary soul in seas of heavenly rest, and not a wave of trouble roll across my peaceful breast. Saturday, 13. Having seen some good appearances at two or three places, I returned to my lodging, but found, as usual, that heavy crosses are to be borne here. Upon the whole, it appears sufficiently clear that God has other work for me to do, and that I must not abide here. If he graciously intends me for more extensive service in his church, may he be pleased to open my way, and make it plain before me. Monday, 15. Various trials beset me, from Satan, the world, and from friends. But hitherto the Lord hath helped. I am convinced there must be no resting here in any person, place, or other object, for it would be bitter and painful in the end. Thursday, 18. My soul was in sweet peace, and I humbly hope the Lord will sooner take me out of the world than let me live to sin against him. Tis grace, almighty grace, must keep me. Otherwise all my reading, praying, and labors of every kind would be ineffectual. The means must be diligently used, but unless God's blessing accompany them, they will be used in vain. Friday, 19. My soul was so terribly beset by Satan that I was ready to say I had rather die than live thus. But grace, by reflection, brought me to submit, and say the Lord's will be done. Though my sufferings were even worse than death, yet let me go to heaven to enjoy thy presence, if it be through fire and water. In reading Clark's Martyrology, I have observed that notwithstanding the errors and superstitions of popery, there has been a church of faithful witnesses preserved, who have borne witness to the truth, not in word only, but by a holy life and triumphant death. Monday, March 1, 1779 I have of late, for the most part, had liberty in preaching, and the Spirit of the Lord has been with me, and from my various and peculiar exercises I am strongly impressed with a persuasion that the Lord is preparing me for future services. But, alas, what cause for shame, on account of my great unfaithfulness! This present life may be well compared to a tempestuous ocean. Sometimes the fair wind of prosperity blows a fresh gale. At other times the cross-wind of adversity rages and threatens a hurricane. How difficult it is, in the midst of such opposing diversity, to pay proper attention to the divine compass, and still pursue the right course. Wednesday 3 Nothing grieves me so much as the want of holiness, but it affords me some satisfaction to find that the people in these parts appear to advance in religion. Friday 5 Satan shot his fiery darts at me, but my soul was shielded and his darts repelled. My heart is humbled within me, and I must be more faithful to God, or I fear I shall not endure to the end. Monday 8. I had a large congregation yesterday at Jay's, and my spirit was at liberty. Today my hopes were revived at Dover, while expatiating on the experience of Hezekiah. Lord's Day 14. For some days past my soul has been dejected. 
but upon examination I am conscious that I have, in some good measure, walked closely with God, and in the time of my greatest heaviness I have found peace. Therefore conclude that it must be owing to some natural cause, though intended to humble me. The most genteel people in Dover treat me with great kindness and courtesy. I hope it will turn to their own spiritual advantage. I have a witness within that I seek not theirs, neither money nor esteem, but them, as the purchase of my Lord's death, that they may be his willing servants forever. I have lately been reading Watson's Body of Divinity. The general drift of it does not comport with my sentiments, yet it contains many good things. I had a mind to abridge his two sermons on Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. On Friday I was inclined to believe that the night before the Lord had re-sanctified my soul. It afforded me much comfort, and I was ready to conclude it had been so for many years past, if I had maintained and believed it. But I fear I have been too slack in urging both myself and others diligently to seek the experience of this great and blessed gift. May the Lord help me from this time to live free from outward and inward sin, always maintaining the spirit of the gospel in meekness, purity, and love. At this time my body labors under much affliction, and I seem fit for little or no service. This, with the heavy temptations which frequently attack my soul, makes me feel as in the furnace, but grace surrounds me as a wall of fire, and I trust my soul suffers no damage. Tuesday, 23. My eyes being sore, the children read for me the life of John Bruin. He was an eminent man, truly pious, and much mortified in his affections, by deep meditation on the word of God, and other religious exercises. I see myself the least of all God's servants, whether ancient or modern, and although he has done more for me than for many, yet I have done less for him. From an observation of Mr. Bruin's, that great blessings more frequently attended the labors of plain, simple preachers than of the more sublime and eloquent, I was led to fear that I had not been simple enough. Thursday, 25. It appears to me very difficult to keep professors from placing too much confidence in past experience and to keep them pressing after grace with as much assiduity as at first. How prone is man to start from God, and to embrace every excuse for the neglect of that best of all duties, living in close communion with the Father of Spirits. Though I now pray not less than ten times a day, yet I find I have need to pray without ceasing. Saturday, 27. A remarkable instance occurred of the watchful care of God over his people. Mr. Petticord went to bed, but could not sleep, though he tried again and again. At last he was obliged to rise, and going downstairs with the man of the house, he found the house on fire. Lord's Day 28 My mind was much drawn out in prayer, and I believe I have not spent more time in this exercise for many years past, if ever, than I do now. But my mind has been much perplexed about wandering thoughts in prayer, though Mr. Wesley's deep and judicious discourse on that subject has afforded me no small satisfaction. He hath both shown the causes of those thoughts, which are not sinful, 
and incontestably proves that they contract no guilt. Yet a devout and tender mind must be grieved, to find any kind of temptation in that sublime exercise wherein the whole soul desires to be employed. This portion of Scripture, Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry unto him day and night? Hath followed me for some time, almost continually, and hath brought me much comfort. This day I preached at E. White's. I am strongly persuaded in my own mind that I have stayed in these parts too long. A black man, who had been liberated by Mr. Blades, gave such an extraordinary account of the work of God in his soul, and withal displayed such gifts in public exercises, that it appears as if the Lord was preparing him for a peculiar usefulness to the people of his own color. Let the Lord choose his own instruments, and send by whom he will. Tuesday 30 Several of my friends came to take their leave, and see the last of me for the present. They manifested great affection, and well they might, if they knew how much I had suffered among them. The next day I set off, and on my journey I gradually recovered my spirits. Meeting with a man on the road, I began to speak to him about the things of God, and saw how providence had brought it about, for the Lord had reached his heart the night before. I advised him to be diligent and faithful, and so left him. I then rode on to Brother Shaw's, where I heard agreeable news. Peradventure there is something in the womb of providence, for which the Lord hath been preparing me, by bringing me through the fire and water. Thursday, April 1, 1779 My soul was much blessed, and there was a great melting among the people, while I spoke strong words on the subject of sanctification. The believers were greatly quickened, and in class meeting we had much of the power of God. I live in great hopes of doing good in this journey. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Friday, too. I had an interview with the Reverend Mr. McGaw, a kind, sensible, friendly minister of the Episcopal Church. I then returned to the house of Mr. Shaw, my quiet retreat for the present, and here I hope to spend my little leisure in peaceable converse with God and divine subjects. My soul longs to be quite complete in the image of God. Lord's Day 4 I breakfasted with a Presbyterian minister, and endeavored to answer some objections which he started, but could not attempt a vindication of those amongst us who had dipped deep in politics. On Wednesday 7 there was a great moving among the people, some seeking justification, and others perfect love. Wednesday 14. My soul was in peace, but I have not sufficiently enforced the doctrine of Christian perfection. This will press believers forward, when everything else is found insufficient, and the people in these parts appear ripe for it, for there is little or no opposition. But I have attended too much to my own small and low experience. Brother D. and Brother G., two young preachers, both spoke today, and I gave each of them a written license. On Thursday my mind was deeply exercised on the subject of sanctification, and the result was a determination to preach it more frequently, and pursue it more diligently. Friday 16. My greatest trouble is that I am not more holy. 
my soul is constantly humble within me on this account. I visited the Reverend Mr. M., and presented him Mr. Fletcher's checks, at the same time opening to his view the whole plan of Methodism. He treated me with exceeding great kindness, and I spent some time very agreeably in his company. The people of these parts, the most wealthy not excepted, are, for the most part, very courteous and friendly. Surely the Lord will raise up for himself a body of faithful witnesses among them. Sundry persons of respectability attend my feeble exercises in public, and express satisfaction. But shall this satisfy or lift me up? God forbid. If this should be the case, God would punish me for my folly. And what is the esteem of man, whose breath is in his nostrils, when compared with the approbation of the Most High? Tuesday 20 We have judgment weather, a hard frost, which has killed a great part of the fruit. I am now reading Newton on the prophecies. Tuesday 27 Yesterday and today we held a quarterly meeting near Dover. A great concourse of people attended the ministry of the Word, and many serious persons were present at our love feast. Wednesday 28 Our conference for the northern stations began at Thomas White's. All our preachers on these stations were present and united. We had much prayer, love, and harmony, and we all agreed to walk by the same rule and to mind the same thing. As we had great reason to fear that our brethren to the southward were in danger of separating from us, we wrote them a soft, healing epistle. On these northern stations we have now about seventeen traveling preachers. We appointed our next conference to be held in Baltimore Town, the last Tuesday in April next. Monday, May 3, 1779 Yesterday we had some melting under the word, at the house of E. White, and today I wrote to John Dickens, to Philip Gatch, Edward Dramgool, and William Glendenning, urging them, if possible, to prevent a separation among the preachers in the South, that is, Virginia and North Carolina and I entertain great hopes that the breach will be healed. If not, the consequences may be bad. I am now reading Edwards on the affections. Excepting the small vein of Calvinism which runs through this book, it is a very good treatise, and worthy the serious attention of young professors. I have now been about thirteen years employed in the work of God as a traveling minister, and upon a review I have cause to be ashamed. But, at the same time, great reason to be thankful that I have not yet grown weary, and humbly hope I never shall, while able to travel at all. Tuesday 4 I still find it pleasant and profitable to be employed in my master's service both in public and private. My conscience smote me severely for lying in bed till six o'clock this morning, no indisposition of body being the cause. Oh, why should we lose one hour? when time is so short and precious, and so many things to be learned and taught. Saturday 8 Yesterday, being a public fast day, we had a large congregation and a solemn time while I preached on the fast of the Ninevites. I found about forty in society at the drawbridge. Thus it pleaseth the Lord to work, and who shall hinder him? In the most troublesome times he can build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
I thought for some time that it would have been much better for the work of God in America if Brother Shadford had stayed. But the Lord ruleth over all, and he ruleth for the best. Many faithful, zealous men are raised up for the work in the States, who only want a little instruction, and they are ready to spend and be spent for souls. End of section 31 Recording by Brian Keenan